It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest episode of the Giants huddle podcast. My name is John Schmelk. Today's guest from Pro Football Focus, Trevor Sycamore. Trevor, good to see you, man. Oh, John, it's always good to chop it up with you, my man. I appreciate you having me on. This give you a lot of fun. Absolutely. And folks, as a reminder, you can find the Giants Little Podcast and the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast, your favorite podcast platforms. And if you love draft content, check out Draft Season, which is our new Giants podcast. But we talk all NFL draft. It's not Giants specific. Myself, Tony Pauline, Eric Crocker. It's been popping up on your Giants Little Podcast feed, but it won't from now on, folks. So make sure you go to the Draft Season podcast feed, subscribe to that. You can find it on your other podcast platforms as well. All right, Trevor, let's talk some draft here, my man. We are inside a month now, which is very exciting. Uh, the draft night is literally a month from the day we're recording this. I'm curious of your process because I, as you, you were on our show before. That's when you were with, uh, the, with Draft Network. Mm-hmm. Now you're with Pro Football Focus. So how has your scouting process changed now that you have all the fancy bells and whistles of PFF at your disposal to scout these guys a different way. Yeah, man. I, you know, when I first got on a PFF, there's a lot of guys who do a lot of great draft work here at the company, you know, Mike Renner, Austin Gales, you know, so really when it comes to draft season, everybody becomes a draft analyst. And so everybody really gets their hand in it. And really when I started back at the beginning of the season, they were, they were telling me, they'd say, Oh, just wait for draft season, man. Just wait for draft season <laughs> because of the tools that we have to really evaluate these players. And it's true, man. I, I don't say that to, to, you know, like toot our own horn or, or brag or act like we're better than anybody else, but we do. We have a lot of really great tools that we're very proud of over over at PFF that help us really differentiate how we see these players and and uh, how detailed we can be on their scouting reports and what they do very well. We have you know things where you're guarding or you, you're charting certain contested catch situations, certain contested catch percentages, uh, you know threat percentages, which talks about how much of the offense is tailored to you and, and how much you get targets within the total passing load or whatever it is. And uh, you, we've got force miss tackle rates for running backs, not just broken tackles, but anytime you make a guy miss. So it just takes things a little bit further. And that's what it's been about. I mean, TDN had a fantastic scouting process as well. So much based on uh, the great film that we get in the all 22 study. And that was really a time in my life where I, I thanks to a lot of great people that lit that uh, worked there as well helped me understand how to watch film even better. And year after year, I felt like I was able to catch more things and notice more things. And so I had a really great film uh, base kind of coming to PFF. But now we've got a lot of different data to where I might be looking at a player. I might say, wow, okay, this guy actually had a lot higher grade as a receiver in the slot than he did on the outside. I wouldn't have thought that would be the case. And then you could go back and you watch and be like, you know, you're right. When you give this guy a little bit more space, when he doesn't face off against press coverage a little bit better, when he gets those clean releases, has those two-way goes, that's actually when he's performing the best, when you didn't have to implement strength in his game right off the bat. So it's just little things like that, right, that we're able to track that I think PFF does such a great job of that allows me to now go back to the film with a fine-tooth comb, if you will, and just see those little details of, okay, this guy actually does this really well talk about his strengths in college and where he could really succeed in the NFL. Now this might be too much inside baseball for fans, but I'm interested in it. So I'm going to ask anyway, are you still watching full games of these guys or are you sorting play types? Because the fans that know there's something called PFF ultimate. It's not available to the public, but you can sort, you know, all targets, 10 yards down the field targets in the middle of the field, outside the numbers. You can basically sort everything you might ever want to do. 
I have access to that. That's what I tend to do. I don't have time to watch full games. Do you still watch full games or are you just sorting everything to get a specific feel for everything a player can do? So I think that obviously watching as much tape as you can on this guys, these guys are always important. And I do have a baseline. I, I like to watch at least three full games of every player, no matter what. And then, you know, n- I would like to get more full games in there, but sometimes the draft process and you know how it goes. It just becomes a busy hard, time man. of year. You've got to kind of pick and choose what you're doing. So my rule is before I put a guy and his full his real report into my scouting sheet, I like to watch at least three full games of these players. So until so until I do that, I try to I try to make that my rule. Where even though I'll watch a player, I think I know how good he's going to be in my rankings, everything like that. I will try to make sure that I don't put him in there until I at least watch those three games. So it's a good way for me to do it, and it helps me also start a little bit earlier. You know, it helps me start in all in uh in November and in December and really getting to some of these guys and and making sure I'm starting my process early on. So I I do try to watch that many full games on players because you do have to kind of get the scope and not just the, the the full games. I like watching guys in different points of the year in no. succession of when the games were played because there are some prospects where I've watched where I go, okay, I'll watch a game of them in, let's say, September or early October. And then I'll watch a game of them in mid-November. And then I'll watch a game of them in December, whether it's the bowl game or a rivalry game or whatever it is. And I'll go, wow, I could literally see him get better throughout the year. And that's something that I do think that, of course, everybody wants to watch the best competition. So a lot of times when they have the tape available for players, they go, okay, how did he perform when he played against the best? And I do think that's an important tool, no doubt about it. But I also think that it's an important tool for people if they have the time to see, to make sure that they can watch these guys in the way that life actually happens. And that, you know, you talk about a guy getting better and him improving throughout the season or whatever it is giving yourself the ability to physically see that when you go back to the film, I think is very important too. So yes, long answer to your question. I do try to watch uh, at least three full games of guys, but I try to do that even though PFF ultimate does make it very, very quick. You can see exactly what you're looking for because sometimes when you watch full games, as you know, John, you'll pick up on stuff you didn't even know you were looking for. And I think that that's important too. Yeah. It's funny. On the other way you watch full games, you might not see a player do something you want him to see do once, depending on the game you're watching. Right. So it's good to have both tools together. A hundred percent with you. All right, Trevor, as you've gotten a big feel for this class specifically, do you agree with the consensus that there isn't a great blue chip top of the line group in this class? And for you, who are those guys? Yeah, you know, honestly, this class is, it's getting a bad rap because you're looking at class in the past and we've been very spoiled, especially for quarterbacks. There's been a lot of hype. And, you know, even outside of the quarterback class, I think the offensive tackle class is really intriguing, especially at the top. You know, you know, we, we sit here and we say like, oh, you know, it's not the strongest class, but I really do think that Ike Aquanu, Evan Neal, and Charles Cross are three really damn good offensive tackles. They're going to be really good players in the NFL for a long time. You look at edge rusher as well. Is there a Miles Garrett? Okay, maybe there's they're not at the very top, but still, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is a fantastic talent. I think Aiden Hutchinson, just every single team would love to get this guy in their locker room. Jermaine Johnson, what he's been able to do over the his final season at Florida State and throughout the draft process. I mean, he has solidified himself as a really damn good player. Look, if you tell me that Derek 
Stingley, the cornerback from uh, from from LSU, if you tell me that he is going to fully recover from that Liz Frank foot injury, all of a sudden you got Sauce Garner, you got Derek Stingley, you got Trent McDuffie, you got Kyrie Elam, you got uh, like Andrew Booth, all of these guys. They're, they're, all of a sudden it becomes a really deep and talented corner class as well. So I, I do agree that you're going to be able to look to the past and say, okay, th- this isn't the strongest class that we've seen come through in recent years. But that don't mean there's not going to be really good NFL players that are going get, to get, get to make it to some teams. And honestly, it's a lot of the really premium positions that are talented this year. It's offensive line, it's defensive line, and it's cornerback. And those are the three premium positions in this league outside of quarterback. So uh, I do think that... Yeah, it, it, it does get a little bit of pushback, but I would push back on the pushback a little bit and say that we're still getting some good NFL players from this class. And throwing wide receiver too, by the way, which is pretty darn deep sure. as well. well. We know how do wide, wide receiver is just going to be deep every yeah. year. I mean, you just, it, it goes all the way back to the high school football level and well, seven on much, seven, all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, yes sure. All of that, man. That's the, I mean, we're, we are going to have good wide receiver classes forever, basically until yeah. something changes at the high school level, until they go back to the wing T and only throw the ball twice or whatever it is. So uh, we're just going to wide receiver. You are correct, but it's always going to be stacked. Well, so let me ask you that then how does your thought process that didn't want to even go here, but I think it's interesting. How does your thought process change then if you're an NFL team in how you handle wide receiver? Because I think we agree that it's a very important position, but unlike edge guys, offensive tackles, it's an extremely deep position now, right? You can find wide receivers. So at what point do you say, okay, it's worth it using a top 10 pick in a wide out, even though it's deep, it's worth signing this wide out to that Devonte Adams style contract. How do you measure then how you treat the wide receiver position given its depth, but also how important it is to winning in the NFL? Yeah, it's and that's and that's that's the debate every pick, and I and I don't say that to for it to be a cop out answer, but we are going to have those debates for every team at every pick every single year, just because of the situation that they're in. And you know, you 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 know, you you brought it up and correctly so, saying okay, well, wide receiver is deeper now just in general from a year-to-year perspective than it's ever been and that kind of goes into my arguments of when I've adjusted how I see guys with value and things like that for example um, you know when teams have needs in the trenches or at lockdown corner for example there are teams that have debates between okay well do we want to go with a a corner or a wide receiver here New York Jets are an example for uh, people who are in your New York audience I know your, your Giants podcast but they're sitting there at number 10 they have a corner need and they have a wide receiver need. And a lot of people go, okay, well, it's an offensive age. Let's go get a wide receiver. Let's go get somebody for Zach Wilson. Let's make that happen there. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. If you if you pick a guy like Drake London or Jameson Williams or Garrett Wilson or whoever, they're going to be a good football player for you. But I would simply throw out the truth, I think, that is you will have the opportunity <laughs> to get a really good wide receiver, a difference-making wide receiver on your team at least once every two years, I would say, whether it's in free agency or the draft, no matter where you pick, whether you're drafting in the 20s, whether you're drafting in the 10s, the teens, and no matter where what your salary cap is either. Because as we saw this year, wide receivers become available. You have the chance to get these people. For goodness sake, Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill just got traded, right? I'd have told you going into the offseason who are the best two wide receivers in, in the NFL right now. 
Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams are probably the biggest issue players for other teams' defense. And Trevor, Both- by the way, neither team got higher than a 25th pick in the draft for one of the players. <laughs> right, and so those guys ended up moving. So you as a franchise, no matter where you are, will have the opportunity to get a difference-making wide receiver in some way, shape, or form within every other year, I would say. You would at least have that opportunity. How often do you get to get a potential CB1? Those dudes don't hit the market. Yep. And if you want to draft one, you're basically only drafting one with a top 10, top 15, maybe pick. Same so thing OT1, same thing edge one, same deal. Correct. Yep. And that's what it comes down to is if you want to pick a wide receiver, look, we're in the offensive age where you got to have three or four good ones. So you better make sure that your depth chart is deep enough to have three or four good wide receivers to really keep up with and put your fe- your your pedal to the metal in the passing game. So you've got to do that. And if you want to get a wide receiver, I would understand it. But- just make sure you're approaching it with the right value. So that's kind of my whole, I guess, philosophy, if you will. It's always case by case is as the NFL draft is uh, oftentimes. But I'll say that the chances that you have to get an impact wide receiver are a lot more frequent than a shutdown CB1, a bookend offensive tackle, and a franchise pass rusher. And I think that's what value goes into. No, I'm with you. And by the way, the Packers, they get the 22nd overall pick for, for Devante. So no top 20 picks, but 22nd, yes. Right. All right, so Trevor, if you're sitting there, fifth pick, seventh pick for the Giants, who are the guys, if you're a Giants fan, and I think I know, given what you said already, a couple of names you're going to mention, that you're sitting there and are hoping they're still on the board when you're picking at five and seven. Yeah, I think that when you look at the Giants, the talk has always been around the trenches, right? And you look at offensive tackle and you look at pass rusher. Those are the two big needs I think they went into with with the draft season. And, um, you know, they made a couple additions along the offensive line, but I still think they need that major splash as well. So uh, when I look at number five, I'm probably looking at one of two players that are left. I'm either looking at Iki Kwanu, the offensive tackle from North Carolina State, NC State, and then uh, Evan Neal from Alabama. I think that there is a good chance that one of those two guys is going to be able to be available at number five, especially if one of them doesn't go number one overall. You know, we did a lot of mock drafts where, okay, before the Jaguars got into this free agency period and they franchise tagged Cam Robinson and they signed Brandon Sheriff and they liked who they, they Trent Balky said they liked who they had on their offensive line right now. Before that, you could have said, all right, Cam Robinson's an unrestricted free agent. The interior offensive line is not so great. They're probably going to go O-line because they got to protect Trevor Lawrence. Well, they invested a lot of funds to make sure that that isn't a desperate must pick need at number one now. So we think that they're going to go in a different direction. I think a lot of signs point to them going defensive end, either Aiden Hutchins or Trayvon Walker, but, if if an offensive tackle doesn't go at number one, probably not going to go at number two, right? Because Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell are sitting there at number two for the Detroit Lions. Houston could go offensive tackle, but it seems like they're not. It seems like the chatter is in a different direction. They also brought back Laramie Tunsil, restructured his deal, so he's not going anywhere. Number four, you got the New York Jets. I think the New York Jets, even with what they did with their offensive line, it's still viable that they pick one of those dudes. But then that's only one of those dudes. And I think one of them is going to be left for the Giants at number five. I would even throw Charles Cross in there as an option. 
I haven't heard as much love for him going number five overall to the Giants, but I would say my targets would honestly be one of those three offensive tackles to pair with Andrew Thomas and the rest of that offensive line. Really get yourself a unit up front that can block well enough for whoever's playing quarterback back there. I know there's Daniel Jones at the moment, but uh, you know, figuring out exactly what they have in Daniel Jones, if you will, letting there be no excuses, making sure they can make the right decision at the end of this year to either continue keeping him on the team, making him a face of the franchise kind of a player or not, but leaving no doubt along the offensive line. I think that that's definitely a target for them at number five. So would be edge rusher. I just feel like I've heard more talk about the offensive line than the edge rush position, which gets us to number seven. They don't have to wait too long if they want to get into that, right? Because two picks later, you might still have guys on the board like Kayvon Thibodeau, like Jermaine Johnson, right? Guys that are right there if they want to go with trench play and really increase what they're able to do uh, on the edge. It could be a combination one of those two. They could double dip in the trenches, but I'll tell you too, the big wild card for the New York Giants is Sauce Garner, the corner from Cincinnati. This dude is just, they don't build many like him. Um, Big, tall, very fast, and he's got the tape to match, man. So you you talked about some PFF premium stats. I know a lot of people who maybe follow us on Twitter have seen this because we've been pumping it up for a long time. He didn't give up a single touchdown in man coverage his entire career. His entire career when he was at Cincinnati, didn't give up a single touchdown. Um, It's funny enough, he got asked that question at the combine. Like, hey, what are you going to do the first time you give up a touchdown? And he smiled and he said, I'm planning on giving one up. So, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's, you know, he's got the attitude. He's got the confidence. He's got the body type. He's got the, 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 the scheme background to him to play that man coverage role that you really covet as a defense, which is the most difficult type of coverage to play. All of that just presents Sauce Garner being a top 10 pick in this draft. I know that there's a good chance the Giants are going to have a major corner need uh, by the time the draft rolls around. So I would say that it's either those three offensive linemen, those two pass rushers, and then a wild card, maybe getting Sauce Garner in there. Those are the six options that I've got for the Giants to choose from at five and seven. All right, let me slide back to Charles Cross specifically. I think the two concerns that I have with him, and I like Cross, by the way, when I watch just the tape, I thought he was the best pass protector of the whole group. I thought he was a better pass pro than Neil, better pass pro than Aquano. Yep. Two things that I worry about. I'm curious to see how you view him. One, he wouldn't be a left tackle for the Giants. He'd be a right tackle. And again, I don't think the skill set's different, but the guy still physically has to change his footwork, change his technique mm-hmm. to play a different position. Two, the air raid system. Does that impact your evaluation at all when it comes to cross? It really doesn't because it just, honestly, you look at how many snaps he had and how many pass protection snaps he had because of the air raid system. And there are a lot of people who'd say like, okay, like it might be, it might be a negative. Cause sometimes the ball is coming out of your hand really fast. You're not exactly blocking anybody. You're just kind of standing in front of somebody before you really get into a fist fight with them. That wasn't his tape though. That wasn't on the tape. Right. And that's what I would say like that. That is not something that's really of a concern. When people hear air raid, they think that it's just this thing that, that makes it so easy for everybody. And it's almost like a gimmicky system. And that's not the case. So I would definitely push back on the air raid system with Charles Cross in that regard. And then in terms of switching to right tackle, it, it's just kind of something that you've got to see how he moves, right? I think throughout the draft process, whether you bring him in for a visit, whether you saw him at his pro day, which I know he got some right tackle work at his pro day. Yep. So I know that people were looking for that to be a thing. When you bring him in, you see how naturally he is doing it. And you also realize that it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. You talk to him about it. You say, hey, look, 
Charles, we love you. We think you're a phenomenal prospect. You know, if I'm talking for the Giants here, be like, there's a good, there, there's a chance that we might be drafting you at five or seven. We'd love to pair you with Andrew Thomas. We think we'd have two of the best young offensive tackles in the game. How would you feel about going to right tackle? You hear what he says about it. You hear his mindset because if he's got a worker's mindset, if he has got a yeah, dude, let like let's go to work. Like let's be the best two offensive tackles in the NFL. Then you go okay. We got some willingness there. Then you talk talk to your offensive line coach and you say, okay, look at his tape, look at his body, look at his potential flexibility. Where is he? Is he a high waisted guy? You know, can he get down into his stance? Is it going to be difficult to switch him? If you will, do you see a lot of dominant work with one hand? Do you think that he's weaker in one side or the other? What do you think his projection is? So you got to talk to your offensive line coach, who's going to be the one working with him as well. Then maybe get some outside advice. Maybe there's some offensive line specialists that know what they're doing with, with exactly how to make that transition a little better. So it just comes down to that's an interview part of the draft process is you fig you kind of figure out, okay, do we have a chance to really succeed with this guy switching positions to left to right tackle? Because I've talked to offensive linemen before and, it is definitely not as easy as Madden makes it seem where you just go into a player's bio and you just switch left tackle to right tackle and then he just figures it out. It's different. Um, one offensive lineman told me it's kind of like wiping your butt with the opposite hand. You know, you could do yeah. it. It just feels really awkward sometimes. So that's just kind of the way it is. You've got to learn your new technique and have new instincts going the other way. And so it, it's a process, no doubt about it. But I don't think the air raid concern is nearly as big of a concern as some people make it out to be. And also – there's a way that you can move guys from left to right tackle. It certainly happens all the time. You just got to figure out if this is a good instance. All right. He, here's a funny scenario. Let's say Neil and Aquan are off the board. Cross gets to five, but that also means somebody else is there, right? You're either going to have your top edge there. You might have Sauce Gardner there. And maybe you have those guys rated as a better player than Charles Cross. Right. Uh, but here's the problem. You have the Carolina Panthers sitting there at number six. Right. So how cute do you get then? Because you all know the Panthers have an offensive tackle need, right? Do you pick a player that maybe has a little lower grade at five because you don't think he'll be there at seven? How do you think you kind of play that game if you're Joe Shane there in, in, in the war room on draft night? So I've never had live bullets of a pick really come at me, if you will. I've never been in the GM's chair, so maybe it's, maybe it's different if you're in that moment. But I would probably play the game a little bit. And, you know, the further you get back, when you when you have two close picks, if you will, just it magnifies it. It just it multiplies how risky it is. Yeah, but, but this five, is just one pick, it's right? One right? Pick. Right? Right? Five to seven <laughs> is just one. So if you want an offensive tackle, like if you go into this draft saying, "Okay, we really would love to get an offensive tackle." I'd probably pick the offensive tackle at five, even if, say, Sauce is a little bit higher on the board, because Charles Cross. We figure if you're going to pick him at five. He's probably going to be in your top five or six players. So it's not like you're taking this dude that's way for, far down your, right. your board. Because if that's the case as well, you're still you're probably picking the guy who you got one, two, three on your board who might be available. So if it's close, relatively close, I'd be picking the offensive tackle because Carolina, it seems like it's coming down to a couple of things, really either quarter, quarterback or offensive tackle. If they... And if the board was the way that it was, where Charles Cross is the only guy who is still available, you look at Carolina's situation and you say, okay, there's no way they're trading back with someone who, let's say the Giants really love Sauce Gardner. And let's say the Minnesota Vikings, who really need a corner at number 12, are like, hey, we'll move up six spots. We'll go get Sauce Gardner. We want to jump the Giants to go get him. Why would the Panthers do that? 
Right. There's there like there's no re- the Panthers the Panthers need either an offensive tackle or a quarterback. They can't exactly afford to move back at that point, especially if there's only one on the board. So if they go with Charles Cross, I think you're kind of forcing Carolina to either take a quarterback or take a trade that gets them out of six. But for another quarterback, I think is the only way that they do that. And so then if you're the Giants, you're kind of playing the game a little bit and you're getting yourself sauce garner if that's something that you want at number seven. So uh, that is probably in my head how I would navigate it if I was in uh, Joe Shane's chair. Yeah, so would I. I agree with you. All right, how do you parse these edge rushers? I can't get as high on the Trayvon Walker bandwagon as everyone else. I see it, but I just, I have a hard time picking a guy that's going to play edge that I don't see outside pass rush moves on tape. And I and, and I don't see him when I when, when I watch him. So how do you sort him with Thibodeau with Jermaine Johnson? And do you have anybody else with those top three there that could be a, a factor for the Giants at five and seven? Yeah, I have my own personal rankings, but certainly there are some guys on here that I I w- haven't heard love from going this high. You know, I think Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, those guys are my one-two in this draft right, right now. I have Kayvon Thibodeau as edge one. I have Aiden Hutchinson just behind him at edge two. I think these are two totally different guys as well. So it's it's not quite like apples to oranges, but it is. It's a little bit of a different preference with these players and where they win and where their strengths are and how you feel like they fit into your defensive line, your team, and everything like that. So right now I've got Kayvon as edge one. I think those are the two guys that are in discussion for the top five. But then you throw Trayvon Walker in there. I have Trayvon Walker as edge six for me. I have him behind George Karloftis. I have him behind uh, David Ojabo pre-injury. And then um, Jermaine Johnson as well. So I actually have Trayvon Walker as edge six. He's not even one of my top five edge rushers. And that's because I gave him an early second round grade. Like I thought this would be a great player to get in the early part in the second round. You mentioned it strong as an ox. He's got incredible get off, man. Just the, the blend of size, strength, speed, the tools are unbelievable. One of those tools, the edge rushers we have seen in a long, 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 long time. You know, we, we talked at the top of the podcast talk, saying, Oh, uh, it's not as strong of a class as it hasn't been in years past. Trayvon Walker is basically as athletic as Jadavian Clowney was. And Jadavian yeah. Clowney was the, was the unquestioned number one overall pick when he got selected. And why was he the number one overall pick? It wasn't even because he was this premier, um, well-versed pass rusher. He didn't have all these pass rush moves. It was simply you can't pass on an athlete like Clowney. You can't do it. You just cannot pass on a player like that. Trayvon Walker was better than Clowney in a lot of his testing and similar size. And so, and actually bigger size. So it's kind of wild to see where we are. And that's why we're at the point where we're talking about Trayvon Walker being pretty high in this class, but he he's not a pass rusher right now. He's not, he doesn't have the moves. He doesn't have the, the background. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have any of that. It's going to be a work in progress for you to get a lot out of this guy as a pass rusher. And, you know, you're picking a guy we hear whispers about him maybe going number one overall number yeah. two overall you picking a guy that high who might not be a 10 sack guy for you i mean like what well, I, I i i don't i don't know i don't know so that's just that's that's kind of tough for me that's why he is a little bit lower in my rankings but i see the allurement with everybody i'm just very surprised that we're as gung-ho about him going that high um as we seem to be at this point in time well i think i think what it is trevor honestly in a class where you don't have the guys that necessarily have the combination of athleticism and production. Sure. I think guys are just swinging for the fences, right? They see, okay, well, who can I see becoming a star if everything goes right? And with his testing and the athleticism on tape, 
That is my guess as to what the allure is there. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. It, it's definitely a class that we seem to hear teams are swinging for the fences more than playing it safe. Because, for example, I think one of the best prospects in this draft, I think one of the cleanest prospects in the dra- in this draft is Tyler Linderbaum, the yeah. center from Iowa. He's unbelievable. You watch Tyler Linderbaum tape and you go, it's <laughs> a damn good center. And there's just not, I mean, he's a mauler in the run game. He's so quick on his feet in the pass game. He can operate in so many different systems, whether it's man blocking, gap blocking, zone blocking, whatever you want to call it, whatever you're putting him in, he's going to succeed. He's got the wrestling background to him. So he's got that incredible core strength. He's got that flexibility. He's got that balance. He, there, I, I love Tyler Linderbaum as a prospect so much. And I'm thinking that there's a chance this guy might not, might not even go in the first round, which is nuts to me. Yeah, have, short I'm arms have, are scaring people a little bit. I, huh? I know. I, I get it. <laughs> the, the size is a little bit of an issue, but pop on the tape, man. It's like he's, he does what he needs to do. I mean, Brian Allen is somebody from Michigan state a long time ago. Now he's starting for the, uh, for the, for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Like when he was coming through, it was like, all right, this guy's too short. I'm like, yeah, but a short guy gets natural leverage, man. I mean, you right. watch him play. You watch him play with strength. He's hiking the ball, and then he's hiking you up. He's getting straight under you. And I'm like, for a center, I don't really care about size that much. Not as much as I would other positions along the offensive line. So, I, all to say, it seems like that player, one of the safest in this draft, is getting pushed further and further and further down mock drafts and down the board as we hear not a lot of buzz from other teams. And yet, you've got guys like Trayvon Walker. Guys like Malik Willis, who are now these top 10 caliber players because teams want to take the swing of the bat. They want the home run. They want the long ball. And I think that that's just the way that it seems like this class is shaping up to be. All right. So what's your feel for the quarterbacks then? Because I think the Giants, if they could, would love to trade down and stack picks, right? They're kind of in the built new beginning of a new era. You want to get picks. You mentioned we'll see who the quarterback is. You want to stack picks until you find that quarterback. You know you're going to have for a long time. Right. So do you think there could be a trade-down opportunity with the Seahawks and Falcons now in the top 10 needing a long-term quarterback? You mentioned the Panthers. Saints, Steelers, who knows if they might fall in love with somebody. Do you think that opportunity could be there, or do you think they're going to end up making those picks at 5-7? and seven? No, I think that that opportunity could absolutely be there. And we asked Joe Shane about this at the combine. And, you know, he talked about, obviously, like all the phone lines are open. We're trying to make the best deal that we can to have the best draft that we can. I think that that's absolutely true. And, you know, this is true for any team picking any player, but it gets multiplied a lot more when you talk about quarterbacks when you only need one team. Right. We can sit here and say, well, the NFL, it's not a consensus that they love Kenny Pickett. You know, it's not a consensus that this and that. But if one team loves him enough to come trade up for him, that's all it takes. It doesn't matter whether what the other 31 NFL teams are. If you can get a deal with one team to get a really good price to move up and 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 make something happen, then that makes sense. So, you know, it's just it's I, I think Malik Willis has the most hype right now and seems to be the only quarterback teams would be gunning for. And I think you mentioned the teams that might be really interested in him. Uh, you know, the Steelers, the New Orleans Saints, the Seahawks sitting right there, the Panthers at number six, right? And, and there's, I think, a handful of other teams that would be interested as well, but those those teams seem the most desperate. It seems like all of those teams would be in on trading up for Malik Willis, but it doesn't seem like at least they would be desperate enough to trade up for someone else it's not like okay we can trade up and we'll get either Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis I don't I don't feel like those are a lot of the conversations 
that these teams are having. It feels like Willis is the home run hit that a lot of these teams want to take a swing at the bat for. And that, that to me, that as an outsider's perspective, that kind of seems like where we are with this quarterback class. Which tells me it has to be a draft night trade, right? Because you never know how yes. high you're going to yes. have to get to get that guy. Yep. No, I'm with you. Yep. I'm with you on that. All right, let's dig a little bit deeper here. Giants also pick um, with the fourth pick in the second round. Where do you think the depth will be? You know, as you mentioned, I think corner, OT, edge, those are the three premium spots the Giants looking at five and seven. They can only come in with two. So where do you see the depth at those three spots at the top of that second round? Edge rusher is is what I go to immediately, and I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but I got to think that with a very high pick at the top of the second round, you're going to have a chance to get yourself a really nice edge rusher. There's guys like Maje Sanders from Cincinnati, Boye Mafe from Minnesota, Drake Jackson from USC, who is a player that I like a lot that seems like nobody is talking about, which is kind of crazy to me. Arn Lebicade from Penn State as well. I you like know, there's. You know, like there's there's all of those players, and I think there's a good chance that one of them would be available there for you. If you like Kingsley and Igbari that much from South Carolina, he might be, you know, he would be there as well. He's some sort of a day two pick wherever you, you view him. But I think that if you look at edge rusher, offensive tackle, and corner, the one that is most likely to get you an impact player at the top of the second round is edge rusher. Cause I think that it just feels like one of those guys, one or two of those guys are going to be available at the top of the second round. There could be some good offensive tackles as well. Bernard Raymond could still be available at the top of the second round, depending on how teams view him. I think Darian Kennard's a really nice inside outside versatile player that could play on the right side of the line for you. So like, I think that there's going to be options. Daniel Falele, the offensive tackle from Minnesota, the massive mountain of a man there. I think that you could probably, we get him at the top of the second round. So there are some options with offensive tackle. I, I don't, I just, I don't like them as much as I probably will edge rusher when it's all said and done. And then corner, man, I don't know. We could have a, we could have a corner run early in this first round. You might get to the back end of uh, the first round, early part of the second round. You may go, oh, wow, where did all these corners go? <laughs> like, it's just not the, uh, it's not the same as what it was before. So I'd probably rank it edge rusher, offensive tackle, cornerback as, most likely the least likely that you get an impact player there at the uh, top of the second round. When does the cornerback cliff fall off? How many people do you have on top? And then at what point are you just finished? I think, you know, once you get, so Derek Singley, Ahmad Garner, those guys are at the top. Trent McDumphy, I think is right after them. Then you start getting into Kyer Elam, Andrew Booth, who I like. You know, Trent, I guess Roger McCreary is probably going to be able to be available at the top of the second round. And that's a really nice coverage player that you get at the top of the second round. I think that'd be a really good pick. You talk about arm length. He's got really short arms. I'm just not sure he's going to be a first round pick. because He can cover though, man. He's Despite sticky. Despite being the second highest corner graded in coverage that we had at Pro Football Focus, man. I mean, he is. He's a very good corner. But he's also, the thing about McCreary too, is that he's inexperienced in the slot. Right. He he's he's never played the slot before. He's only played on the outside, and that's where teams might want to put him as a pro because of the short arms, right. right? And so, like, even if you say like, okay, he's got short arms, we can put him in the slot. Just realize it's going to be an adjustment period because not only has he not played in the slot at all, he's 
only been playing corner since he got to Auburn. He's only been playing corner for four years. So he's still learning all this stuff. You know, he's, it's, it's, it's still a learning process for McCreary, but if what you get this past year was him while he was still learning, it's a damn good football player. So right. I think that he is going to be a really good player in the NFL. It's just, you, you've got to keep that in mind when you've got him on your board. Kyler Gordon's another one from Washington that I think could be up there as well. I think Darion Kendrick, the, the, the combine times and the, the pro day times, they were not good for him. So I'm not so sure he's going to be a, a second round guy anymore, but I would say that's probably where it falls off for me is right after Roger McCreary, because then you got a handful of guys later, like a Mario Goodridge from Clemson's a player who's, who's, who's good. And he's talented Tariq Woolen, which is the in, insane alien of an athlete uh, that everyone's going to kind of covet somewhere on day two. You just don't know where, but he as well is very green at corner and you got to do a lot of work with him to make sure that you're getting the most out of that athletic ability. So I'd say that, yeah, the cliff is probably right after McCreary and Kyler Gordon, depending on who's going first. I think after that, it starts to, you start to take, take some real risks with guys. Who are the guys that maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, you like in this class that maybe other people aren't quite as high on? And maybe even PFF isn't quite as high on that. You're like, you know what? I watch this tape. I believe in this guy. Look, I, it's, it's, it's kind of coming around a little bit, but I'm going to my own horn. In January, I put out a wide receiver ranking, and I said, George Pickens from Georgia is wide receiver two for me. I think George, I think George Pickens is wide receiver two in this class. I had Drake London at wide receiver one. And that was a little bit hot take even during the season when I was like, nope, this guy's awesome. So I have Drake London at wide receiver one, and then I had George Pickens at wide receiver two. And the people were like, Who is George Pick? You never see him in the top 10 anywhere. And I'm telling you, man, just go put on the tape. He looks like AJ Green, man. Dude, we're talking about <laughs> as a freshman and sophomore is the yeah, thing. Th- this past year was his true junior season, and he missed most of it because he's tore, he tore his ACL in spring ball a year ago, last March. So he missed most of this season <clears throat> that we just saw from Georgia, comes back on for the SEC championship game and then the title run that they have, and he played a little bit as he got more healthy and he got more confident in his knee. But the tape that you go watch that is really awesome, that has a lot of really great highs, is him as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. Like, this dude was dominating as an 18, 19-year-old in the SEC for a passing offense that stunk. I mean, Jordan passed <laughs> the ball, and every time they needed a big play, an NFL-type play, they threw it to their NFL-type receiver. So, I don't know. I just When I watch George Pickens, I see a player who has size, strength, speed. You mentioned it. He gives you flashes of A.J. Green wearing that Georgia uniform because of how dominant that he's been. I think he's a fantastic player. I'm not saying that A.J. Green's a comp. You know, A.J. Green had one of the greatest starts to a wide receiver career in NFL history with, what was it, seven, six, seven straight 1,000-yard seasons? Yeah, something like that unbelievable but uh, i'm not saying george Pickens is gonna be that but i am with you that he definitely dominates on that georgia tape so he's a player that i seem to be a lot higher on than a lot of people all right let's go the other way a guy that besides trevon walker we talked about him that everyone is all yeah we're on board and you're just like sorry guys can't do it i think i think the the offensive tackle class outside of Cross, Iquano, and Neal. You know, I've seen some love, for example, for Trevor Penning, the uh, offensive tackle for Northern Iowa. And I think that, I actually think that Penning is going to be a, a decently high Giants target. If I can like put together the hints of like what I've heard, you know, in interviews and at the combine and everything, I think they're really going to like him because he's durable. He is a mean son of a gun. Oh, his he's, personality fits the Shane Dable oh, thing too. Correct. And his, and his athleticism as well as the combine really shined. But, 
I've seen mocks with him maybe going in the top 10 to the Giants, maybe right outside that in the top 15. And I think that Trevor Penning's a good player, but I'm pumping the brakes a lot on him going that high just because I watched him at the Senior Bowl. And this is a guy who, where he has a lot of starting experience coming from Northern Iowa, it is a much lower level of competition. And when he came to the Senior Bowl, his outside shoulder was getting exposed a lot, man. He just was not used to speed off of the edge like that and really being able to protect that outside shoulder and get back into his slides and make sure he gets in front of people, locks people up, isn't holding them, all that kinds of stuff. So I just saw when I was at the Senior Bowl, I was like, okay, obviously I, I, I saw the tape that everybody else does where he's punishing guys, he's throwing them to the ground, he's erasing them, making these major finish blocks. But he is a guy who I keep coming back to is like, I, I am not as rich on him as everybody else kind of seems to be. I think that it's going to be a steeper learning curve for him to be a consistent, solid starter in the NFL, which I think that his ceiling is things just a little bit further away from that than people are, uh, than people are mentioning right now. So if you're a GM, you're thinking about him more in the teens, early twenties. Yeah, I would, I would be much more comfortable taking Trevor Penning in like the twenties and I, Begin honestly beginning of the second round okay. than I would in the, in the top half of the first round. I don't think a team's going to have that luxury. I think he's right. going to be off the board by then. But for my kind of grades and my eyes, I would have felt better about him as a late first, early second round player rather than a top fifteen player. All right, final question, Trevor. Give me your Giants picks. I'm going to make it tough on you. Five, seven, and then give me their second round pick as well. What do you got? Okay. All right. So let's build. Let's build the perfect draft here that I think the Giants should have. We'll go offensive tackle at number five. And I think it's most likely at this point in time that Evan Neal would be their pick. I think that I think that Iki Kwanu is going to be the first offensive tackle on the board, at least as we are recording this podcast. It feels like that's going to be the pick there. I know the Jets are pretty in on him. And of course, some teams above them, you know, whether it's the Houston Texans uh, or maybe even the Jaguars at number one, I don't really think so anymore. I think they're all considering Iki Kwanu. I think that it'd be hard to believe that he is going to make it to number five, but I think that Evan Neal does. So I'll say Evan Neal at number five. I'll say Sauce Garner at seven. I think they're going to love him. Uh, I think they're going to really have a big time CB need and they're going to want to fill it right away. And they're going to look at, okay, what might our options be in the top of the second round? Let's kind of plan this thing out. And I think they're going to like what they see at potential for edge rusher more than they are going to like it at corner. So let's go Evan Neal at five sauce Garner at seven. And then at the top of the second round, I'm going to go Drake Jackson. I brought him up. He is the outside linebacker edge rush player for USC, who I think has been really great throughout his three years of playing there. He just didn't have that breakout season. He just didn't have that big next step, but I think it's there for him. man. when you talk about the flashes of get off bend flexibility, his, he can, his, his talent to attack that outside corner as a speed rusher. I love what he brings to the table. I really do. So uh, I don't think Boye Mafe is going to be there. If Boye Mafe was there, I think that he would probably be the pick at the top of the second round, but I think he's going to be gone by then. So let's say Drake Jackson, Evan Neal, Sauce Garner, Drake Jackson for the New York Giants. That's pretty good, Trevor. I like it. Tell the folks about where they can find your stuff about your podcast and anything else you want to get out there for me. Yeah, NFL Draft Podcast, NFL Stock Exchange, myself and Connor Rogers coming to you three days a week. It's a lot of fun. We're doing a ton of mock drafts. We're doing guest mock draft series. We're doing all sorts of scouting reports, everything you need to know about this class. Then, of course, uh, everything over at pff.com. Go check out the mock draft simulator if you haven't yet. It's a great way to have a lot of fun doing a mock draft for either your team or a first-round mock draft or whatever, man. It's a blast. So everything over at pff.com. Trevor, 
Appreciate it. Enjoy the next month. It's going to be chaos, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Appreciate it, John. Thanks. Trevor Sycamore, buddy, our pro football focus. Again, stay tuned to the Johnson Podcast as we continue to cover the NFL draft. We'll see you next time, everyone.